This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. The Necklace by Guy de Maupassant. Read by Cheyenne Welling. She was one of those pretty and charming young ladies, born as if through an error of destiny into a family of clerks. She had no dowering, no hopes, no means of becoming known, appreciated, loved, and married by a man rich and distinguished, and she allowed herself to marry a petty clerk in the Ministry of Public Instruction. She dressed plainly because she could not dress well, but she was as unhappy as though she had married beneath herself, for women have no caste or class, their beauty, grace, and charm serving them for birth or family. Their natural delicacy, their instinctive elegance, and their nibbleness of wit are their only mark of rank, and put the slum girl on a level with the highest lady in the land. She suffered intensely, feeling herself born for every delicacy and luxury. She suffered from the poverty of her dwelling, from the worn walls, the abraded chairs, the ugliness of the stuffs. All these things, which another woman of her caste would not even have noticed, tortured her and made her indignant. The sight of the little girl from Brittany, who did her humble housework, awoke in her desolated regrets and distracted dreams. She let her mind dwell on the quiet antechambers, hung with oriental tapestries, lighted by tall lamps of bronze, and of the two tall footmen in knee-breeches who dozed in the large armchairs, made drowsy by the heat of the furnace. She thought of large drawing-rooms hung in old silks, of graceful pieces of furniture carrying bric-a-brac of inestimable value, and of the perfumed coquettish little rooms made for five o'clock chat with the most intimate friends, men well known and sought after, whose intentions all women envied and desired. When she seated herself for dinner before the round table, where the tablecloth had been used three days opposite of her husband, who lifted the cover of the tureen, declaring with an air of satisfaction, Ah, the good pot pie! I don't know anything better than that. She was thinking of delicate repasts, with glittering silver, with tapestries peopling the walls, with ancient figures, and with strange birds in a fairy-like forest. She was thinking of exquisite dishes, served in marvelous platters, of compliment whispered and heard with a sphinx-like smile, while she was eating the rosy flesh of a trout or the wings of a quail. She had no dresses, no jewels, nothing, and these were the only things she loved. She felt that she was made for them. She longed so eagerly to be charming, to be desirable, to be wildly attractive and sought after. She had a rich friend, an old school friend, whom she refused to visit because she'd suffered so keenly when she returned home. She would weep whole days with grief, regret, despair, and misery. But one evening her husband came in with a proud air, holding in his hand a large envelope. 
There, said he, there is something for you. She quickly tore the paper and took out of it a printed card which bore these words, The Minister of Public Instruction and Madame Ropignol request the honor of Monsieur and Madame Loisel's company at the Palace of the Ministry on Monday morning, January 18th. What do you want me to do with that? Why, my dear, I thought you would be glad. You never go out, and this is a fine opportunity. I had great trouble to get it. Everyone wants to go. It is very select, and they are not giving many invitations to clerks. The whole official world will be there. She looked at him with an irritated eye, and she declared with impatience, And what do you wish me to put on my back? He had not thought of that. He stammered, Why, the dress you go to the theater in. It looks very well to me. He stopped, distracted, seeing that his wife was weeping. Two big tears were descending slowly from the corners of the eyes to the corners of the mouth. He stuttered, What's the matter? What's the matter? But by a violent effort she had conquered her trouble, and she replied in a calm voice as she wiped her damp cheeks, Nothing. Only I have no clothes, and in consequence I cannot go to this party. Give your card to some colleague whose wife is better equipped than I. He was heartbroken. He began again. See here, Mathilde, how much would this cost? A proper dress, which would do on other occasions. Something very simple? She reflected a few seconds going over her calculations, thinking also of the sum which she might ask without meeting an immediate refusal and a frightened exclamation from the frugal clerk. At last she answered hesitantly, I don't know exactly, but it seems to me that with four hundred francs I might do it. He paled, for he was reserving just that sum to buy a gun and treat himself to a little shooting next summer on the plain of Nantier, with some friends who used to shoot larks there on Sundays. But he said, All right, I will give you four hundred francs, but take care to have a pretty dress. The day of the party grew near, and Madame Loiselle's seemed sad, restless, and anxious, yet her dress was ready. On one evening her husband said to her, what's the matter come now you have been quite queer these last three days and she answered i am utterly miserable at not having any jewels not a single stone to wear i shall look like distress i would almost rather not go to this party wear flowers he said they're very smart at this time of year for ten francs you could get two or three of the most gorgeous roses she was not convinced no, there's nothing so humiliating as looking poor in the middle of a lot of rich women. But her husband cried, What a goose you are! Go, find your friend Madame Forestier, and ask her to lend you some jewelry. You know her well enough to do that. She gave a cry of joy. That's true. I had not thought of it. The next day she went to her friend and told her of her distress. Madame Forestier went to her mirrored wardrobe, took out a large casket, brought it, opened it, and said to Madame Loiselle, 
Choose, my dear. She saw at first bracelets, then a necklace of pearls, then a Venetian cross of gold set with precious stones of an admirable workmanship. She tried on the ornaments before the glass, hesitated, and could not decide to take them off or to give them up. She kept on asking, You haven't anything else? Yes, yes, look, I don't know what will happen to please you. All at once she discovered in a box of black satin a superb necklace of diamonds, and her heart began to beat with boundless desire. Her hands trembled in taking it up. She fastened it around her throat on her high dress, and remained in ecstasy before herself. Then she asked, hesitating, full of anxiety, Can you lend me this, only this? Yes, yes, certainly. She sprang to her friend's neck, kissed her with adieu, then escaped with her treasure. The day of the party arrived. Madame Loiselle was a success. She was the prettiest of them all, elegant, gracious, smiling, and mad with joy. All the men were looking at her, inquiring her name, asking to be introduced. All the attaches of the cabinet wanted to dance with her. The minister took notice with her. She danced with delight, with passion, intoxicated with pleasure, thinking of nothing in the triumph of her beauty, in the glory of her success, in a sort of cloud of happiness made up of all these tributes, of all the admirations, of all these awakened desires, of this victory so complete and so sweet to a woman's heart. She went away about four in the morning. Since midnight, her husband had been dozing in the little ante-room with three other men whose wives were having a good time. He threw over her shoulders the wraps he had brought to go home in, modest garments of everyday life, the poverty of which was out of keeping with the elegance of the ball-dress. She felt this, and wanted to fly so as not to be noticed by the other women who were wrapping themselves up in rich furs. Lazelle kept her back. Wait a minute, you will catch cold outside. I will call a cab. But she did not listen to him, and went downstairs rapidly. When they were in the street, they could not find a carriage, and they set out in search of one, hailing the drivers whom they saw passing in the distance. They went down towards the Seine, disgusted, shivering. Finally, they found on the Croix one of those old night-hawk cabs, which one sees in Paris only after night has fallen, as if they are ashamed of their misery in the daytime. It brought them to their door, Rouge de Montiers, and they went up their stairs sadly. For her, it was finished, and he was thinking that he would have to be at the ministry at ten o'clock. She took off the wraps with which she had covered her shoulders before the mirror, so as to see herself once more in her glory. But suddenly she gave out a cry. She no longer had the necklace around her throat. Her husband, half undressed already, asked, What is the matter with you? She turned to him, terror-stricken. I, I, I don't have Madame Forestier's diamond necklace. He jumped up, frightened. What? 
How? It is not possible. And they searched in the folds of the dress, in the folds of the wrap, in the pockets, everywhere. They did not find it. He asked, Are you sure you still had it when you left the ball? Yes, I touched it in the vestibule of the ministry. But if you had lost it in the streets, we should have heard it fall. It must be in the cab. Yes, that's probable. Did you take down the number? No. And you... You did not even look at it. No. They gazed at each other, crushed. At last, Loisel dressed himself again. I'm going, he said. Back the whole distance we came from on foot to see if I cannot find it. And he went out. She stayed there in her ball dress without strength to go to bed, overwhelmed on a chair without a fire, without a thought. Her husband came back about seven o'clock. He had found nothing. Then he went to police headquarters, to the newspapers to offer a reward, to the cab company. He did everything, in fact, that a trace of hope could urge him to. She waited all day, in the same day's state in the face of this horrible disaster. Loisel came back in the evening with his face worn and white. He had discovered nothing. You must write to your friend, he said, that you have broken the clasp of her necklace and that you are having it repaired. That will give us time to turn around. She wrote as he dictated. At the end of the week, they had lost all hope, and Loiselle, aged by five years, declared, We must see how we can replace those jewels. The next day, they took the case which had held them to the jeweler, whose name was in the cover. He consulted his books. It was not I, madame, who sold this necklace. I only supplied the case. Then they went from jeweler to jeweler, looking for a necklace like the other, consulting their memory, sick, both of them, with grief and anxiety. Finally, in a shop in the Palais Royale, they found a diamond necklace that seemed to them absolutely like the one they were seeking. It was priced at 40,000 francs. They could have it for 36. They begged the jeweler not to sell it for three days and they made a bargain that he should take it back for 34,000 if the first was found before the end of February. Loiselle possessed 18,000 francs which his father had left him. He had to borrow the remainder. He borrowed, asking a thousand francs from one, five hundred from another, five here, three louis there. He gave promissory notes, made ruinous agreements, dealt with usurers, with all kinds of lenders. He compromised the end of his life, risked his signature without even knowing whether it could be paid back. And frightened by all the anguish of the future, by the black misery which was about to settle down on him, by the perspective of all sorts of deprivations and all sorts of moral tortures, he went to buy the new diamond necklace laying down on a jeweler's counter 36,000 francs. When Madame Loiselle took back the necklace to Madame Forestier, the latter said with an irritated air, 
You ought to have brought it back sooner, for I might have needed it. She did not open the case which her friend had been fearing. If she had noticed the substitution, what would she have thought? What would she have said? Might she not have been taken for a thief? Madame Loiselle learned the deplorable life of the needy. She made the best of it, moreover, frankly, heroically. The frightful debt must be paid. She would pay it. They dismissed the servant. They changed their rooms. They took an attic under the roof. She learned the rough work of the household, the odious labors of the kitchen. She washed the dishes, wearing out her pink nails on the greasy pots and the bottoms of the pans. She washed the dirty linens, the shirts, the towels for which she dried on a rope. She carried down the garbage to the streets every morning, and she carried up the water, pausing for breath on every floor. And, dressed like a woman of the people, she went to the fewer, to the grocer, the butcher, a basket on her arm, bargaining, insulted, fighting for her wretched money, sue by sue. Every month they had to pay notes, to renew others, to gain time. The husband worked in the evening, keeping up the books of a shopkeeper, and at night often he did copying at five sous a page. This life lasted ten years. At the end of ten years they had paid everything back, everything, with the rates of usury and all the accumulation of heaped-up interest. Madame Loiselle seemed aged now. She had become the robust woman, hard and rough, of a poor household. Badly combed, her skirts awry and her hands red, her voice was loud, and she washed the floor with splashing water. But sometimes, when her husband was at the office, she sat down by the window, and she thought of that evening, long ago, of that ball where she had been so beautiful and so admired. What would have happened if she had not lost the necklace? Who knows? Who knows? How singular life is! How changeable! What a little thing it takes to save you or to lose you! Then, one Sunday, as she was taking a turn in the Champs-Élysées as a recreation after the labors of the week, she perceived suddenly a woman walking with a child. It was Madame Forestier, still young, still beautiful, still seductive. Madame Loiselle felt moved. Should she speak to her? Yes, certainly. And now that she had paid up, she would tell her all. Why not? She drew near. Good morning, Jeanne. The other did not recognize her, astonished to be hailed thus familiarly by this woman of the people. She hesitated. But, Madame, I don't know. Are you not making a mistake? No, I am Mathilde Loiselle. Her friend gave a cry. Oh, my poor Mathilde, how are you changed? Yes, I have had hard days since I saw you, and many troubles, and not because of you. Of me? How so? You remember that diamond necklace that you lent me to go to the ball at the ministry? Yes, and then? Well... I lost it. How can that be, since you brought it back to me? I brought you back another just like it, and it has taken us ten years to pay for it. 
you will understand that it was not easy for us, who had nothing. At last it is done, and I am mightily glad. You say that you brought a diamond necklace to replace mine? Yes, you never noticed it then. They were very similar. And she smiled with a proud and naive joy. Madame Forestier, much moved, took her by both hands. Oh, my poor Mathilde! But mine were paste. At most they were worth five hundred francs. End of recording.